0: about being Bereans. Now last week we started our study on rightly dividing the word of truth and why that is important and folks I got to tell you it is important. Uh, last week we had the uh, memorial service, the celebration of life service for our dear brother C.J. Parkinson and one of the things that uh, we will always remember about C.J. and and appreciate about him was his stand on rightly dividing the word of truth and how important it was that we rightly divide the word of truth. So in his honor, uh, we wanted to uh, share a message that that he would have just been thrilled to hear. And you would have seen him back there taking notes and, and all. And so I, I appreciate CJ so much, but we didn't get finished. And so what we want to do this morning is we want to uh, do part two of that rightly dividing the word of truth and why it's so important and then next Sunday we'll get back to our study on the book of, of Colossians uh, and like I said we've entitled this service, uh, this sermon uh, is being Bereans because it's important that we be Bereans and what we mean by that is a group of people in Acts chapter 17 that when Paul came in with his message with the revelation of the mystery with the truth that the lord jesus christ had provided and given to him that special revelation um god's word tells us that that they search the scriptures daily to see if these things be so and that's what i encourage our people to be and that's bereans don't take my word for it don't take your sunday school teacher's word for it uh Study God's Word. Be Bereans and search the Scriptures. It is important, important that we understand what it means to rightly divide the Word of Truth. As a matter of fact, I think it's more than just important. I think it's imperative that we understand why, as we search these Scriptures, as we study God's Word, that we rightly divide the Word of Truth. You want to correctly understand What your marching orders are, then you have to rightly divide uh, the word of truth. Uh, What your marching orders are in this present dispensation. uh, If you want to know which gospel to preach, which good news to share, you have to rightly divide the word of truth. You want to know which commission you're under. You have to know how to rightly divide the word of truth. Is your hope a heavenly hope? Or is it an earthly hope? Hey, to understand what all is going on in the world and eschatology or last days, what do you need to do to understand what's going on? Rightly divide the word of truth. Now, people will say, ah, oh, don't get into that doctrine, folks. The teaching of God's word, and that's what doctrine is, is extremely important in order for you to know how to live your life, in, in, in order for you. You to know how to apply God's Word to your life. You have to know how to rightly divide. Salvation. Salvation. That's a pretty big deal, isn't it? Which message of salvation are you going to share in this present dispensation? Well, if you don't rightly divide the Word of Truth, you don't know which message to share concerning how a person is to be saved. Is your salvation secure? That's a big deal, isn't it? Or can you lose it? So you find out the truth of that when you rightly divide the word of truth. Um, Prayer. Prayer. What about praying? Uh, There are certain promises in God's word and how often a believer will try to apply certain scriptures concerning prayer to their daily prayer life or to their immediate needs and then they don't understand why those prayer requests aren't answered. Why that mountain is not moved and the answer has to do with rightly dividing the word of truth when we meet hey folks how come we didn't meet yesterday yesterday was the sabbath how come we didn't meet yesterday on saturday why are we meeting today on sunday we're going to talk about that in a second are we under law are we under grace what does it mean that we're no longer under law but we're under grace what about baptism What about baptism? We're going to look at that briefly today. Uh, Which baptism is for today? Is it water baptism? Is it the one baptism, the Spirit baptism? See, you're not going to get a correct answer if you don't rightly divide the word of truth. So circumcision. All of a sudden, circumcision was was extremely important. Matter of fact, if as a Jew, if he weren't circumcised, he was to be considered an outcast. And he would have no claims on the nation of Israel and the promises, uh, the covenant promises of God if he was not circumcised. Yet Paul comes along and says circumcision avails nothing. What in the world is going on? Well, the answers are clear when you rightly divide the word of truth. And all the seemingly, and there are none, contradictions are out the window When you rightly divide the word of truth things that seem to be inconsistent conflicts are answered when you rightly divide the word of truth how important then is it that we rightly divide Uh, and and can i share a brief testimony with you why i think it's so important Uh, two two testimonies Uh, one i remember when i Came to know the Lord in a, in a Southern Baptist church. And the pastor there was very dispensational, acts to godly men, and, and um, loved him dearly. And I went off to a Bible college in Tulsa, Oklahoma. There was an independent Bible college, but I had a little bit of dispensational teaching from, uh, from this this pastor. Um, went off to Bible college, and the school was an independent Bible college. And man, we, you talk about a mixture you talk about everything there from Pentecostals to Church of Christ to Christian church to a whole bunch of Baptists to Methodists. To, I mean, they were all there, and they were all put into this pot and kind of stirred up, and who knows what kind of doctrine you're going to come up with. But I was, uh, I, I, you know, Faye and I were put there in the middle of all of these, these kids, and uh, I, remember, I remember going to a Christian church uh, with a group, of, a group of folks, and listening to their doctrine of baptismal regeneration, he had to be baptized to be saved and and you know listening, uh, going to a Pentecostal church, <clears throat> thanks, but no thanks, but went to one, scared me, but I went to one. Uh, but I remember praying, Lord, I am so confused here's what I know I desire to do is to teach your word in truth. I remember praying, Lord, I'd rather have my tongue cut out. I'm thinking back now that was a little college-y, you know, you know how we were back in those days, but I really meant it at the time. Lord, uh, I, I want to know your truth, and I cried out to God, I want to know the truth of your word. I want to teach it in truth. I'd, I am tired of asking people questions, and they would say things like, well, we don't know the answer to that. We're just going to have to ask that to Jesus when we get to heaven. And I would think, that's not good enough. That's not good enough. If this is God's word to us, he means for us to understand it. And then so I prayed, Lord, hear the earnestness of my prayer. I want to know your word. So you will never, ever convince me that God did not answer my prayer. As I stand here to preach on God's word, I believe completely that God answered my prayer. Lord, help me to understand your word. As he raised up men to to lead me in the search of the scriptures, as, as I was taught what it means to rightly divide the word of truth. The other testimony is I'm here today because I'll never forget the night. I'll never forget the time. It was on a Sunday night. I was working in a Baptist church. I find people, and and this is not to despair, be disparaging toward any, any of these. I I love these people dearly. They are they are godly. They they love the Lord Jesus. They desire to serve Him faithfully. Uh, but I was I, I was working in this church. Uh, we just gotten kicked out of Circle J. Uh, that. Whole ministry had come crashing down on us, and the 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 church there in Owensville uh, graciously said, "Rick, we we want you to uh, come to our church and work with our youth and do the same thing here that you were attempting to do out at Circle J." And the Lord placed us there with a huge youth group. I mean, it was incredible what God opened up and the opportunities that he opened up. The pastor understood my doctrinal position. He understood what, what I believed doctrinally, and he said, that's okay, just come and, and minister here. And so I did that for two years. And I'll never, ever forget, I'd already talked to Marge and Burl and, and Ken Gardner and Ed Judy, You know They had already contacted me and said, hey, when they found out I was down there, would you like to come and and, and pastor Bible fellowship? This was like four years prior to me finally calling them. But I I remember uh, on a Sunday night, the pastor, just a neat, I can't stress what a neat guy he is, but he got up and he was teaching through the book of Acts, and when he announced he was going to teach through the book of Acts, it was like, oh no, oh no. I felt like then a decision was going to have to be made. And so he started in Acts, and he started uh, teaching it, and he got to Acts 2. And he started talking about the day of Pentecost, and he started talking about what all was going on there, and he started talking about Peter standing up and saying, these men aren't drunk, as you suppose they are. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. That's what he told them. He said, but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. What was going on on the day of Pentecost was an Old Testament prophecy being fulfilled. What's going on on this day of Pentecost is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, and then it quotes uh, what was said in uh, in Joel chapter 2. And then he stands there and he says, well, I can't tell you why Peter overreacted. And my heart just flopped because Peter wasn't overreacting. I mean, I wanted to remind the guy hey, the, the man had just been empowered by the Holy Spirit. Uh, the, in Luke 24, Christ had opened their eyes, and, and, and he had, so that they understood all scripture. I mean, we're talking about spirit-controlled, spirit-led kingdom warriors here, and I don't know why Peter overreacted, and it was at that moment I understood that I could no longer continue pastoring or working in that church, because the doctrinal differences were so much, uh, so great. The next day, I got on the phone, and I called Ken Gardner, and I said, hey, brother, uh, is that offer still available? I know it's two or three years too late, but maybe. But is that? And he said, yeah, let's talk. So we all got together, and pff, here we are. The rest is history. But I'm telling you, it was, it, I was there two years. And rightly dividing the word of truth, in my opinion, is the only way to study God's word, to know God's word, and be able to apply God's Word. That's why it's so important that I stand here and share this with you this morning. First of all, as we learned last week, the Bible tells us to, right? Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. The Bible tells us to rightly divide the Word. So if the Bible tells us to do it, then we need to do it. I want to reemphasize as you're turning. We believe all the Bible. Amen. From Genesis to Revelation, this is the inspired complete word of God. We stand on this as being the complete word of God. But I want to emphasize, not all of it all of it is for us, but not all of us not all of it is to us. You got to understand it's not all to us. And if you think it is, then we're going to have a snake handling ceremony for anybody that desires to do that. And I happen to have some poison. What did I do with that? If you think it's for us, then why don't you handle snakes? Why don't we drink poison? We don't, and for very good reason. Very good reason when we're going to look at at that. So that right there tells you, yeah, that all the Bible is for us, but it's not all to us. There was a specific point to that promise by the Lord to the apostles that during the tribulation, during their ministry, those things are not going to have an influence or an impact. And Paul being the apostle to the Gentiles, those things applied to him too. When he was snake bitten and he was able to shake it off. And yet that's, that was all part of it. But the 12, that was an authoritative uh, act on the Lord's part for, for them. So this morning we're going to study rightly dividing the word of truth and how that it's imperative that we know which gospel to preach, which commission to follow. See, God's Word says, go ye, go ye therefore. And folks, I encourage us, we go therefore. We are to do that. Go ye therefore. But when you go, what do you say? When you go, what do you preach? What do you, when you go, what do you stand for? That's where rightly dividing comes in. Go ye therefore and drink poison? I don't think so. Go ye therefore and sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Whew, aren't you glad that doesn't apply today? Amen. But that's what God's word says to do. Second Timothy chapter two, verse fifteen. Study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that needs not to be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth. Rightly dividing the word of truth. Orthotomeo is the Greek word there for for rightly dividing. It means to cut with precision. It means to slice appropriately. A lot of people will say, well, no, you just translate, translate that uh, study to show yourself for proving to God a workman that needs not be ashamed. Handling properly the Word of God. Well, I'm all for handling properly the w- Word of God, but the way you handle properly the Word of God is you slice it appropriately. You slice it the way God desires for you to slice the Word of God. You cut it in the, in the proper way. You rightly cut the Word of God. It has to do with dividing properly. And, it's, and why? Why is it important that we rightly divide the word of truth? The next verse tells us. So basically that you shun profane and vain babblings. Hey, without studying the word of God from a rightly dividing viewpoint, you're not going to be able to avoid those profane and vain babblings. That you hear so much of in so many so many churches, but shun. You handle it. You slice it. You you cut it properly, so that you shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase into more ungodliness. Look at Second Timothy chapter three. Second Timothy chapter three, verse sixteen. All Scripture is given by permission, I mean, all all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the Son of Man may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Folks, that's why it's so important that we keep our nose in the book. And that we study God's word and we know what it says to to us and how we apply and what we apply to our daily walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. The Greek word orthotomeo is only used one time in the scripture and it's in that verse. Orthotomeo, rightly divide. But it is used one time in the Old Testament in the Greek, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament. the Old Testament is primarily uh, Hebrew. Uh, but there is a Greek translation of the Old Testament and it's called the Septuagint. So we can go to the Septuagint which is a Greek translation of the Old Testament, and we find that word used again. Boy, if if that word is used in a similar fashion and it really proves our point, why, that's good, right? That's good. Well, guess what it is? In order to rightly divide the word, turn to Leviticus chapter 1, verse 6. In Leviticus chapter 1, verse 6, It talks about properly slicing the sacrifice, properly slicing, dividing that sacrifice in order that you might know if it's blemished or not, and in order so that you can take those parts of that sacrifice and place them precisely where God's word tells us that they're to be placed on the altar. So is rightly dividing important when it comes to the sacrifice? I would say is being able to tell whether this lamb this is is without blemish that they're being they're getting ready to sacrifice. What about as they cut the parts away? If they Don't place them where God's Word tells them specifically where to place those parts. They're not carrying out God's will. So that's what Leviticus chapter 1, verse 6, talking about the priest. And he shall flay the burnt offering and cut it into his pieces. Guess what that cut it is in Greek? Orthotomeo. Only other place it's used. And the sons of Aaron, the priest, shall put fire upon the altar and lay the wood in order upon the fire. And the priest, Aaron's son, shall lay the parts, the head and the fat, in order upon the wood that is on the fire which is upon the altar. You can study that and you can read through there. And it talks about the importance of that sacrifice. Do you think that properly handling Properly slicing that sacrifice was necessary. Oh, this part can just go here. Oh, if that part fits there, you think that's where God would want it, or do you think He wanted it to be placed exactly where He wanted it to be placed? It's the same as we study God's Word, rightly dividing, rightly slicing God's Word so that we understand where all the parts go for our action in our service to the to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the same purpose as it was to the sacrifice as we handle God's Word. Folks, here here is the Bible. Here is the Bible. We desire to study it. We desire to understand it. But I'm here to tell you we can't without rightly dividing it and that there are serious inconsistencies that just floods all through it if you don't rightly divide it. So what do you mean by rightly dividing? what what in the world are you talking about rightly dividing well let's make sure that we understand in the simplest way and i'm not going to get into the different dispensations although that's important that we understand the different dispensations. There's a dispensation of innocence. There's a dispensation of conscience, the dispensation of government, the dispensation of promise, the dispensation of law, the dispensation of grace. There's going to be the dispensation of the kingdom. And there a, there's even coming a dispensation of the fullness of times. I can't wait to get there. That's going to be from all of those. How And the dispensation is how God dealt with man in innocence, in conscience, in government, all the way through. And there's a break in each one of those, a clear break, and as you rightly divide, you see how God was dealing. But the simplest, the easiest, the most effective way, I believe, in rightly dividing the word of truth is to understand the difference between prophecy and mystery. God's dealings with Israel as a nation, God's dealings with the church, the body of Christ in this present time. When you rightly divide the word, you need to understand what, uh, what concerned God's program, God's plans, God's purpose, God's promises to and for Israel, and the difference in those plans and purposes and promises, and what concerns the body of Christ, the promises to the body of Christ, the purpose of the body of Christ. Understanding what was told and promised and the authority given to the apostles, those that walk with Christ on earth in Christ's earthly ministry. The difference between that, those promises, that word, that revelation given to Paul, the apostle, to the Gentiles. See, when you talk about Israel, you're talking about God's elect. And God, at the time, God elected to bless the world through Israel. God elected to bless the world through Israel. He said, you're going to be a nation of priests. You're going to be my peculiar people. I'm going to bless them that bless you. I'm going to curse them that curse you. That promise was to Abraham. And from Abraham's loins came the nation of Israel. And God bl- You can't study the Old Testament. You can't study the scriptures. You can't study any aspect of it uh, without understanding God's love. As a matter of fact, Deuteronomy chapter 7, he tells Israel that I loved you more. And here's the reason I loved you so much. And all the way through, you know that God emphasized his love, his care, his purpose, his workings through the nation of Israel. Does anybody deny that? I mean, that, it's there. It's for the reading. It's for the studying. It's for the understanding. But he came into his own. And his own what? Received him not. He came into his own. His own received him not. But as many as received him, you know, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. That little flock. What a blessing. But he came to his own. In the parable that Christ shared. He talked about the fact that Israel was going to say, we will not have this man to reign over us. Did they do that? Did they reject him? Absolutely, they rejected him. And when you study the scriptures and you understand God's plan and program and prophesied purpose, For the nation of Israel, you discover that it was prophesied that they were going to reject him. And the next item on the prophetic agenda was what? The tribulation. That God is going to use the tribulation to do what? To bring unbelieving Israel back to himself. He's going to woo Israel back to himself. He's going to cause Israel to fall in love with him. Just like they were in love with him when he brought them out of Israel i mean out of out of egypt and all of those truths and the, that flowing love language that god talks about israel and god being the, the husband of israel and, and the whole book of hosea dedicated to that that relationship and and isaiah talking about how god is israel's husband and, and all of that it just shows what the plan and purpose was, but it's also prophesied that Israel was going to reject. So the next item on the prophetic agenda was Israel's rejection. And the next thing on the prophetic agenda was the tribulation period starting. I mean, that's, that's there. So when Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost, and he says, the Holy Spirit's Spirit has fallen on the 50th day, that there was a purpose for that and on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit uh, fell. Was that prophesied? Let me give you a hint. Yes, that was prophesied. Was that foretold? And the congregation said, yes, most definitely. All that was foretold. So on the day of Pentecost, what was happening was the fulfillment of the the promise of the Father. Christ had said, you wait here until the promise of the Father. What was the promise of the Father? The Holy Spirit coming and empowering them. That was, that was a fulfillment of Scripture. Did that happen? Then they speak in tongues, which was prophesied they were going to do. Isaiah 25. It was prophesied. All that was prophesied. And they are doing exactly what God's word said was going to happen. And they said, these guys are drunk. These guys, we we hear every man speak in our own language, the the, the words of God. What's going on here? They must be drunk. Peter says, no, they're not. This is that which was spoken, and that's critical, by the prophet Joel. And then he goes into quoting Prophet Joel that was detailing what's going to take place when? During the tribulation. During the tribulation. What did Christ train and teach and encourage the disciples during his earthly ministry to prepare for? The tribulation. The tribulation. The day of the Lord. When he says, take no thought of what you're going to wear, what you're going to eat, uh, where you're going to live. Your Father in heaven knows you have need of these things. You just seek ye first the kingdom of heaven. All these things are going to be added unto you. Because the tribulation was supposed to start. To sell everything you have and give it to the poor. That's exactly what they do in Acts chapter 4. They are expecting the tribulation to take place. They were preparing for that tribulation period. So when Peter stands up and says, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, he's preparing them for the tribulation, letting them know that this was prophesied truth. In chapter 3, he tells them what they need to, or in the last part of chapter 2, they they hear all about that. Chapter 2, they hear that the, the one that they crucified, the one they murdered, the one they hung on a cross, he's alive what he's alive what must we do what must we do what does peter say repent and, and remember he's talking to a covenant people he's talking to a group of people who already have a relationship with god they've fallen away they're not where they need to be that nation of priests but they have a covenant relationship with God already. And he's already told them, you need to be born again. See, we're made new creations, by the way. And that's a whole other sermon. We'll get into that one day. But you you need to, Israel, you need to be born again. You, you need to repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. And when you do this, the Holy Spirit's gonna fall, and it's and and what the blessings are gonna come. In chapter three, again he tells them to repent. Why? In order for the kingdom of heaven shall come from the presence of the Lord. Was the Lord the Messiah? Was Israel's hope the Messiah? Was Israel's hope the the kingdom being established on earth? Absolutely. That was their hope. That's what Peter was telling them all doing, all during this time, but Israel does something very interesting. They said, "We'll not have this man to reign over us." Every, every, what's happening in the Gospels? What's happening in early Acts? It was all a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, Old Testament teaching. Can anything be clearer than that? See, when you rightly divide the Word of Truth, that's part of rightly dividing the Word of Truth. Is understanding that that you've got the Old Testament and then the Gospels all had to do with the kingdom of heaven and the Messiah and the promised Messiah coming and preparing Israel to be that nation of priests. By the way, that's why John the Baptist came doing what? Baptizing in the River Jordan. What was he doing? Baptizing them in the River Jordan. Preparing them to be that nation of priests. What was one ceremony that every priest had to go through. Water baptism. That spiritual cleansing that identified them as a priest. There was that washing. And we could go after Scripture after Scripture that proves that. And by the look on your faces and everybody looking at Tim, you must have covered that today in Sunday school. See? See, God knows what He's doing. Amen? When He brings all this truth together. See, so you, you, you had... Uh, during that time, John the Baptist came preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Why was the kingdom of heaven at hand? Because the king was at hand. The kingdom of heaven. When Christ taught him to pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth, on earth as it is in heaven. What was Israel's hope? an earthly kingdom to be established. For the, you read the Scriptures. Nowhere in the Scriptures was Israel ever promised a place in heaven. Their hope is an earthly kingdom with the Messiah ruling and reigning. And that's exactly what was happening here during that, that time. So we, we, we have John the Baptist, we have the Gospels all being taught concerning that promised kingdom whether it be Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Oh and by the way and, and one of the things on Wednesday nights we get the best questions really the best questions. This past week somebody asked about the bas- the, blaspheme, uh, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Well that's kind of what was going on uh, when in, in Acts chapter 7 I, I believe firmly when Stephen was stoned. Remember in, in Mark 3 <laughs> The Lord says all manner of sin will be forgiven except what? Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is pretty much rejecting. Christ said you can even even blaspheme the Son, but don't you blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Well, in Acts chapter 7, we have Stephen being stoned. And in Acts chapter 6, we have a description of Stephen. One of the things it says about Stephen is that he was a man full of the Holy Spirit. He was a man full of the Holy Spirit. And it said to look upon his face was to see an angel. It was that real. And in Acts chapter 7, when he preached that sermon to those hard-hearted uh, Sanhedrin, those, those that, to the leaders of Israel, what was their response? They stoned him. They gnashed upon him. They stoned him. So what we have is we have Israel committing the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. They've rejected the Father. They've rejected the Son. Crucify him. Crucify him. Now they're rejecting the Holy Spirit as they're rejecting those words that Peter is sharing with them. And what do we see? We see Christ standing. John Uh, Stephen looks into heaven and he sees Christ standing at the right hand of the Father. Folks, I've heard all sorts of crazy explanations. Let me tell you one of them that's not an explanation. That was not the Lord there standing and waiting to receive the first martyr. What he was doing was standing in judgment of the nation of Israel. Every scripture in in the Bible where the Lord is standing... Every scripture without exception, where the Lord is standing, it's always in judgment. Always in judgment. When he is at rest, like he is now with us, seated with him in the heavenlies, then that's at rest. But when Stephen looked up and he saw Christ standing at the right hand of the Father, and they didn't like that, and they rushed on him, and they really stoned him at that point. that was a turning point for the nation of Israel. They were being judged. They were committing the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. That very moment, I believe. After Acts chapter 7, we are introduced to somebody. Who are we introduced to? Saul of Tarsus. What is he doing? He's breathing out threatenings. He's breathing out slaughter. He's doing all sorts of things to the kingdom believers. All sorts of things are going on. And then chapter 9. We have this one that's on his way to Damascus to get those believers that are up there, and he's going to haul them back for persecution. And God, in his infinite grace and mercy does something incredible the leader of the rebellion the leader of the persecution the chief of sinners god by his grace saves well wait a minute i thought blasphemy of the holy spirit that was that that was that was unforgivable boy isn't grace amazing isn't grace something for Israel and at that time those are the only ones that could have committed it and God in his infinite mercy and grace saves the chief of sinners so that he could offer salvation to who all believes not whoever repents and is baptized Christ in Matthew 16:16 16, 16, said whosoever believes and is baptized shall be saved the verse right before that 15 talks about what believe what that Christ is the messiah that the kingdom is about to be established. So the whole all of the scripture was about Israel prepare to be that nation of priests, prepare to be that holy nation, prepare to be that nation. God has already told them that salvation was of the Jews. Christ had already said, salvation is of the Jews. It was it was all there. Be that nation that God has called you to be. Israel, God is raising you up. He's elected you to be that nation of priests. Oh, your job is to share with the rest of the world the good news that the Messiah has come, that He, he as a lamb before shears he, He's gone to the slaughter. He's, he's died. He's resurrected now based on the death of Christ and His resurrection. The kingdom is being offered to you. Believe today that Christ is the Messiah. And he'll come again. In my father's house are many mansions. If it weren't so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there may you, there may you be also. Well, it's his father's house. Study the scriptures. The only place that ever talks about God's, uh, God's word about the house of God was what? Okay, The temple. It was the temple. In my father's house are many rooms. Apostles, you get to live there. Anyway, we're going to to make this a third if I don't go on. Third series. Well, when you study God's Word, you understand how important it is that we rightly divide the Word of Truth and we distinguish between God's calling and purpose for that special nation, that he called out of Egypt, that he gave the oracles of God, he gave the law to, he told them how to worship me, he told them what his requirements were. You you understand that, then you also understand that revelation that he gave to the apostle Paul. Look look at Ephesians chapter 3 we've read this so many times you all probably already know it by heart at least i hope you do but i'm just going to read the one because there's other places but ephesians chapter 3 verse 1 for this cause i paul the prisoner of jesus christ for you gentiles if you have heard of the dispensation of grace of god which is given me to your word how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery what's a mystery it's a hidden secret it's a hidden secret And it's not like, okay, there were clues in the Old Testament. We're not talking about a Sir Conan Doyle mystery. We're not talking about something that Hercule Poirot or Mrs. Marble could have figured out. That's not that kind of mystery with trying to figure out who did it. It was hid in God. There were no secret clues planted in the Old Testament concerning what God was going to do by His grace How that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote before in a few words. Whereby, when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Verse 5, underline it, memorize it, understand it. Which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the spirit what is that that the gentiles should be fellow heirs of the joint body joint body jews and gentiles not talking about israel as a nation to be blessed but the creation of a body ephesians chapter 2 talks about how the two are going to be made one new flesh it's referring back to that of the same body or the joint body and partakers of his promise in christ by the gospel the his promise in titus 1 2 the promise of god is eternal life through christ and what god had intended all along was to offer salvation by his grace through his his mercy folks there's so many distinctions i'm just gonna in the time we have left I want to go over just a few. I'll make this quick. Prayer. Prayer. John chapter 14, verses 13 and verses 14. Tim, put that up there real quick. John 14. And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Is that Scripture? That's Scripture. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Is that Scripture? That is Scripture. You ever ask something in Jesus' name and it not done? Look at, look at John 16, verse 23. We may have to postpone Colossians one more week. 16 verse 23 and in that day you shall ask me nothing verily verily i say unto you whatsoever you shall ask the father in my name he will give it to you wow is that scripture absolutely so what is the answer you rightly divide the word of truth in order to get the answer. Uh, look at Matthew 18:19. 19. Ooh, I, I get this all the time. I, I get precious people, uh, they're always calling, they're always asking. Matthew 18, and we're just going to cover prayer today. We're going to cover others next week. Um, look at Matthew 18:18. 18, 18. Verily I say unto you, whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And again I say unto you, that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Folks, those are not our prayer words for guidance today. That is the authority that the apostles were to have. It falls in the same vein as John chapter 20, verse 22. John 20, verse 22. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said unto them, Receive ye the Holy Spirit. The next verse, 23, I guess, Tim. Tim. whosoever sins you forgive, so is, he, is, is the Lord talking to you here? No. Whosoever sins you remit, they are remitted. Or Whosoever sins you forgive, they're forgiven. Whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. Anybody here have that kind of authority? Uh-uh. And the only answer is if you rightly divide the word of truth to know that that is the A kingdom authority that the apostles are going to have. Matthew 19, 28, it talks about how they are going to sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes, and they're going to have that kind of authority. That's the explanation for Ananias and Sapphira. All the way through the scripture, we find that authority. Today, when we pray, I don't pray, Lord, you said that whatever I ask you in Jesus' name, you're going to do it. So Lord, here's what I'm asking in Jesus' name, do it. It doesn't happen that way. What God's Word tells us in Philippians chapter 4, that we're to, we're to in everything give thanks, we are to make our requests known unto God, and he is going to give us the peace that passes understanding. There is no place, no place, where it says you make your request made known unto God and just watch him go to work. Just watch him get it done. The thing that you can claim is when you pray, Lord, I, you have that specific request. And I, I don't care what your prayer request is. Lord, You pray for it. Pray for it. And what does God promise to do? Not so much, he's going to answer. But he does for sure give us the peace that passes understanding. As we commit that request to him, as we submit those supplications into him, he gives us the peace that passes understanding. That's our prayer uh, guidelines in this present dispensation of grace. That's what we mean by rightly dividing the word of truth and we're going to show more next week as we talk about why we worship on the first day of the week and not on the Sabbath. Why don't we say you better get your ties down here. Why aren't we under law? What does it mean by being under grace? See when you rightly divide the word why aren't we going to talk about water baptism. So bring your galoshes next Sunday because we're going to talk about why we don't practice water baptism but boy do we believe in that one baptism that baptism that takes place a moment a person believes the holy spirit places them into the body of christ he immerses them in the body of christ they are sealed into the day of redemption and those things make sense when you rightly divide the word of truth but the greatest of all of those and we'll talk a little bit more about that next week but It has to do with salvation. God's Word does not tell you to repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. God's Word doesn't tell you that if you want to inherit eternal life, you sell everything you have and you come follow me. It's all works-based. What God's Word says in this present dispensation is we correctly... Uh, rightly divide the word of truth is believe what God's word says is that we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and what do you believe about him you believe that he died for your sins you believe he was buried and you believe he rose again and when a person believes that then by the act and the mercy and it the power of God, you are made a new creation in Christ. All the work is God's work. He is the one who does it. He is the one who sanctifies you, justifies you, glorifies you. He does it all. He redeems you. All based on what? You believed. You took Him at His word. And you honored what He said do as you rightly divide the word and you make sure you believe the gospel. The other thing we're going to talk about next week is which gospel? There's the gospel of the kingdom. And, and we really can't go much further until we de- dis- describe the difference between the gospel of the kingdom and the gospel of the grace of God, which is what I'm all for. Amen? But this morning, if you've never put your faith and trust in Christ, if you've never done what God's Word tells you you need to do in this present dispensation of grace, let me encourage you to do that. By faith, believe that Christ died for your sins, was buried, and rose again. What a, what a plan of salvation. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning and we thank you for your amazing grace. Father, for those of us who have by faith trusted you, how sweet the sound. Father, how thankful you are this morning that when we've been with you 10,000 years, we've just begun. Father, we thank you for that eternal life. We thank you for that truth. And I pray this morning, if there's someone here who's never by faith trusted you, that this will be the moment. Father, may the Holy Spirit convict them and may they not reject that conviction. May they not turn a false or deaf ear to that calling by the Holy Spirit. But realize that in faith-believing, they say, yes, Lord. I'm a sinner. You're a Savior. I desire for you to be my Savior. And by faith, I believe that you died for my sins, and I believe you were buried, and I believe you rose again. Father, then you do your work in their lives. And we thank you for that. And we pray these things in that name that's above all other names. In the name of Jesus Christ, who's Lord of all, we pray. Amen.